This is Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. Powered by servicebycar.com. Here's Ray Addison. Welcome to your favourite Saturday morning car talk show, Motor Mania. On the programme today, I'll be chatting to Faisal Hussein about his new business venture, turning land cruisers into what? Camper vans. Yes, that's right. Plus, motoring journalist Imtasan Guiado joins us to discuss Aston Martin's return to Formula One. And which countries do you think the UAE's safest drivers come from? Well, in a little while, I'll reveal the top five nationalities as compiled by insurance website Yala Compare. Their list is based on claims made during 2020, and they say they went down dramatically during the pandemic. Over on our Instagram page, we're running a poll to see if you agree. Have the UAE's roads become safer during 2020? Head over to Dubai I 103.8 FM and click on our Instagram story to vote yes or no. OK, that's all coming up. But first, let's get down to business. Fix it or flip it. Matthew Davidson, motoring guru, will be joining us live on the line in just a moment. And over the next hour, up to 11 a.m., he's going to be using his expertise and years of experience to provide live car valuations. Why is that good? Well, if you're trying to decide whether to fix up or sell your car, now is the time to give us a call because you can benefit from that advice. 04871 You'll need to provide the make, the model, the year, the mileage and the condition of your car and Matthew will tell you what you could get for it if you decide to sell or indeed if you should sell or hang on for a little bit longer. 04871 that's the phone number at the moment if you ring you will get through but it's first come first served we're very strict about that we will not take you out of order. If you call first, you will get through right now. If you do give us a call, it gives Matthew the chance to ask you a lot more questions and give you a much more accurate valuation. Good morning, Matthew. Ray. Hey. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. How are you doing? Very relaxed in Abu Dhabi today. I know, I know. Um, is it right? I was told, a little birdie told me that you were doing a bit of racing over there. Yeah, I'm actually down here uh, staying in the Four Seasons, which mm-hmm. is uh, really nice. They're doing a great job here. Mm-hmm. And um, we were invited by Pirelli to come down. It's a two-day event. We're doing, uh, well, we did do a, a track event on um, Friday yesterday mm-hmm. where we raced our cars around the, the Yaz circuit. Uh, now, anybody that uh, loves Formula One will appreciate what it's like to drive on an actual Formula One circuit. Mm. There's, there's nothing like it. It's indescribable. And then this afternoon, we're actually doing uh, dynamic driving. So at Yaz Circuit, they have a dy- dynamic driving area where it's wet and you practice handling the car in the wet, oh. doing drifting. Uh, it's it's a really great weekend, all, all organized by Pirelli. So fantastic. That must be amazing. I remember... Um... What, in England when it would get um, so cold that it would snow and then you end up with the sludge, you know, that sort of is yeah. it, oh, sludge, the sludge. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and obviously the ice as well. And as a younger as a younger driver, I used to quite enjoy having to deal with that. But um, last time I went back and was driving in the UK with ice on the road, it absolutely terrified me. Uh, but I can see why uh, doing something on a professional circuit must be exhilarating. Yeah, I mean, it's a different... I used to, when I was really young, go to the empty car parks when it snowed and drift around. Wow. Um, but here, you know, you're you're in a proper controlled environment. It's mm. incredibly safe. 
there's high-end instructors that, that really teach you how to handle your car in these types of environments. So it's I'm really looking forward to the event this afternoon. Yeah, I'm very tempted to do this myself, actually. I'm, I, I think we're going to have a chat with uh, our producer, Zena and see if we can get me out having a, having a bit of a drift around. I think, yeah, I think you can. You can reach yeah. out um, to the team at, at Yaz uh, Marina Circuit, mm. and it would be something uh, for a future show that I think everyone would be interested to see how you got on. Yeah, definitely. Um, the topic that we're running on our poll at the moment, have the UAE's roads become safer? Before we get into the car valuations, have you got a view on this? Uh, the data is from Yala Compare is suggesting that insurance claims went down last year. Um, and so there, you know, that indicates that um, technically the roads were a bit safer. Do you have a view? Yeah, it's interesting because I believe it is the case. Mm. Um, I've been driving here for a long, long time. And I don't think I've felt safer on the roads. People seem to be at a at a slower pace. Mm-hmm. I don't see as much uh, tailgating, aggressive driving. I don't know. I, I would definitely say this without even looking at data. For me, the roads do feel a lot safer. And maybe it's just where I'm driving, but... I haven't seen a fender bender for a long time, actually. Well, later on, I'm going to reveal the top five safest nationality of drivers. Would you like to ha- uh, hazard a guess who's in the top five? Or uh, I'm really putting you on the spot yeah, now. Well, aren't I? <laughs> it'll make, it'll make, uh, I would say I would say uh, at the top would probably be uh, European Okay. countries it's interesting uh, probably like the uk germany etc okay um but yeah this is i have to, i've got a lot of friends from a lot of countries yeah so I, i'm <laughs> gonna sit on the fence here and, <laughs> and uh, veto this nothing definitive <laughs> yes absolutely um well yeah. i can tell you neither of those two nationalities are in the top five but i will be releasing uh revealing the, de- the details just after 11 so um stay tuned wow. after we finish chatting zero four eight seven one Double five, double zero. That's the number to give us a call if you want to speak to Matthew. That is exactly what Janice did. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. Hi, Ray. Hey, morning, how are you Matthew. doing? You all right? We're doing doing okay. Hope you guys are all right too. We are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this morning. What would you like to ask Matthew? Well, uh, it's that uh, we have a Jaguar, a 2018 XF model uh, 25T trim. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking to sell it. We've advertised in the popular sites already mm-hmm. uh, for the past three weeks. We just haven't gotten good offers yet. Mm-hmm. Um, when I say good, we got an estimate from the Jaguar pre-owned showroom already on how much this should fetch us. Um, but so far for the past three weeks, we haven't gotten that, that kind of offer. Do you mind me asking what they, what they recommended? Uh, well, they, they did admit they were very honest. Uh, they could buy it from us for eighty, maybe as much as ninety thousand. Mm-hmm. They did tell us if we go out um, third party, go out into the market, we might get a hundred thousand for it. Okay, all right. Well, this is uh, the perfect person to talk to, Matthew. Uh, what would you say to Janice? Yeah, well, all of those numbers are absolutely on point. Good morning, Janice. Um, the, the dealer, we, I think we talked in previous shows about this. When a dealer makes an offer, usually it's around 20% below the market price. So them offering 80 would tell you that the car is around 100. I know that car is probably the two liter prestige. I'm guessing uh, you can tell me different, but um, that car would 
probably be around 100K on the market. I would put it on. Uh, if you, you, I think you said you did advertise it, but I would put that car on for 99 fixed price. I would take no offers. And you will find that when people call up, as long as you're very transparent with them and say, look, the price is fixed. It's actually below market price, but we wanted to fix it to make it easier. You'll find that you'll get more calls and more interest at that price because it's under that psychological six-figure number of 100K. So put it on for 99. I think you should get in a lot of interest and, and really put it within your social circles. Um, for example, if you're in a community, mm. put it on the community Facebook group because a lot of people like to buy from people they trust. So if you're in a specific area, then I think um, that might help you as well. Unless you're a terrible driver, Janice, in which case people will say, avoid it, avoid it, which I'm, I'm sure you're not. Um, I'm not, I'm not. Of course you're not. What do you think of uh, that valuation from, from Matthew? Obviously, I know you want to get as much as you can for it, but 99K? Um, I think I'll follow that suggestion. Mm. Thanks, Matthew. You're right. It's a prestige. Uh, I'll do that. I'll I'll put it at the 99,000 dirham price. Psychologically, maybe it will really uh, what urge people to take a look at it, put an offer to it. Yeah, Saturday mind games in the uh, car valuation field. We love it. Uh, Janice, thank you so much for calling through. If you want to be like Janice, give us a call. 04871 Rod is next. Good morning, Rod. Hi, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? And what would you like to ask Matthew? Um, I have an Audi Tupac. Say it again, Rod. Is, we just uh, lost you a little bit there. You broke up. It's an Audi what? Sorry, hold on. It's my car. I hope you're hands-free, Rod. I hope you're hands-free. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah, we can hear you. What, 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 yeah. what are you ringing about? So it's an Audi Q7. Yeah. I keep having some air conditioning issues on the car. Mm-hmm. I already spent quite a lot of money on fixing it, uh, rear evaporator and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now it's just to know if it's better to keep investing and trying to find the problem and fix it or just get rid of the car. Can you tell us the, the, the year? 2013. And what about the mileage? Uh, 132,000. Okay, 132,000, 2013 Audi Q7, lots of problems, becoming a bit of a money pit. Matthew, what would you say to Rod? Morning, Rod. Um, This car is eight years old now. Eight years old European car is going to cause you problems. It's no surprise you tell me about the AC. They start to fail around this point as well. And unfortunately, you're going to keep throwing some money at this car. So um, this is certainly the time to to get out this car and look to move on. If the AC is working well enough now that you've spent some money on it, that you can sell it, please sell this car. I mean, in terms of value, it's around 45K, maybe a little bit under that, 43 to 45K. Uh, But I I would definitely consider moving out of this because when you're spending five to 8,000 chunks of change Mm. on a car that's only worth less than 50,000, 10% 10% of time, you need to re- re- realistically look at getting out of this car. That's an interesting way of looking at it as well. The Every time you do do work on it, how much, what percentage of the of the remaining retaining value in your vehicle do you have? Rod, what, what, what would you say to that valuation? Is that something that you could accept? It is something that I could accept, absolutely. However, the, the air conditioning is not is not functioning. So that will so that will obviously. Would you advise yeah. to fix it and sell it, or would you advise to try to sell it as is? 
Good question. Uh, fix and sell that or very, just let it go? Yeah, it's a very good question. I mean, we're, we're still hanging on to winter, but actually, bizarrely, the last couple of days have been very hot. It was quite a sandstorm yesterday. So, you know, people want that part of the car more than anything working as we head in towards the summer. You cannot fix it and sell it with transparency, but I think that will be very hard because, let's be honest, there's going to be lots of choice for people out in the market and why would they pick a car that's or, that's got faults that they have to deal with so if you can if you can get it working to a reasonable standard first i would advise that else you've got an uphill struggle to sell that car mm. my ac's uh, bust at the moment as well jo- uh, rod so i know exactly how you're feeling it's absolutely fine in the morning uh, so if you're going to sell this privately morning test drives and evening test drives uh, but middle of the day is just not going to fly I think unless uh, unless you can get it fixed. Uh, Rod, hope that helps. John is next. Good morning, John. Good morning, guys. Good morning. What would you like to ask Matt? Yeah, actually Matt, I have a kind of, it's a different type of car, you know, it's like something more aggressive. I'm talking here about an AMG GPS Edition 1 2016 model with 40,000 kilometer on it, very well maintained, and uh, it's a weekend car for me. I drive it like once in a week. It's always covered underground, you know, very well well looked after. I'm just like, we'd like to have your opinion about a p- appropriate price. This is uh, point one. Point number two, shall I keep or shall I sell? Mm. Okay, so that's or an... do you see any, any upsell in, in the upcoming years within the UE market for this car? I missed the year, John. What, what year did you say it was? It was a two thousand. It is a two thousand sixteen GTS Edition One. And forty k on the clock, Matthew. Just quickly, if yeah. you can. Yeah, yeah, John. Look, these cars, these cars aren't made anymore. They're getting pretty rare. Uh, the car value is something north of three hundred k. So, say three hundred to three hundred and ten thousand. Um, in terms of would I keep it? Well, I don't think that car is going to massively depreciate much over the next couple of years. So, if you like that car. You could actually keep it, enjoy it for two more years, and I don't think you'd lose much money because they are getting quite desirable, especially as it's an edition one. So if you like it, keep it. I don't think you'll lose much money over the next couple of years. John, hope that helps. Give us a call. You come onto the line. You tell us the make, the model, the year, the condition uh, and the mileage of your car and our car expert, Matthew, will tell you whether you should fix it or flip it. Bridget is on the line. Good morning, Bridget. Morning, Ray. Morning, Matthew. How are you doing? You all right? Good, thank you. How are you both? Tickety-boo, but you sound a bit down, Bridget. <laughs> no, not at all. Not no? At all. OK, all right, good. No? I'm very glad to hear that. I just wondered if you might be having some car trouble. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I've just got a question on whether to um, keep the car or sell it. OK. Uh, it's well, actually it's, it's in very good condition, so it's more a case that my motor plan is due to expire in June. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's a 2016 Audi S3 sedan, mm-hmm. spec. Um, it's in excellent condition. It's just been me who's owned it and driven. No children or dogs. Good. 71,000 <laughs> 71, k's on the clock. Yeah. Um, for service agency history. Mm-hmm. There was a minor bumper bashing two years ago, but that was also repaired mm-hmm. by the agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really want to know whether... Matthew thinks it's a good idea to keep it beyond the motor plan mm-hmm. or whether to start thinking about selling it. Well, and what, if I do sell it, what kind of price? 
Okay. While Matthew has a, a little think about that, it's 2016 Audi S3 sedan, 20, uh, 71,000 agency repaired. Um, can I ask you if you think that our roads became safer last year during the pandemic? Um, yes, probably, mainly because people are not driving quite as much. <laughs> but maybe also we're, we're not in as much of a rush to get to the office all the mm. time. Mm. We're not dashing around to meetings. So, yeah, probably. I was wondering, um, and you can tell me if you, what you think of this theory. I was wondering, as we've all kind of become a bit more aware of our personal space and, and safety and having to wear the mask and wash our hands, uh, you know, as frequently as possible after, you know, touching things. Like, ha- do you think we're just a little bit more tuned in to, to being safe and being a bit more responsible than we were maybe uh, 2019, 2018? Maybe you've got a point there. I'm, I'm not sure exactly if that's the reason, but... Mm. Um, maybe we are just more, more aware of everything. Maybe we're more mindful of other people too. Well, 80% of people do think it's safer. Uh, you can vote at Dubai okay. I1038FM and we'll right. get you updated. Uh, Matthew, cool. sorry for that interlude. What would you like to advise Bridget? Well, morning, Bridget. Um, Good morning, Matthew. I don't think, I, with the children and the dogs, I think you'd scare them in that car in the 300 brake horsepower. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's quite a quick, quick little machine. Um, yeah, it is. Cars, they they came flooding into the market in 2016. That's when Audi uh, unleashed the S3 on the market here, and and I remember it being such a fantastic car when I first drove it. Uh, you've yeah. got a great advantage having four new tires um, just in 2019. You've got obviously the uh, extended service contract, as you said. You definitely need to look at selling this car now because. I don't think it's going to be positioned any better than right now because once that plan expires, it's going to start getting expensive for people. It's going to be a five-year-plus car. A lot of these cars were even registered in the 16 models in 2015. So I imagine it's it's more knocking on the door of a six-year-old car by the time it gets to June. So I would sell it. I I think the value would be around 80,000, 80. Put it Put it out there on Facebook, on all the popular sites like Divisil, like um, Yalamota, and also think about if you really want to push it hard, there's specifically Audi Facebook groups. So yes. if, it, if it's really in the condition, like you say, I think it will stand out. So have a have a, a, a strategic plan for this, and I think you'll move it quite quickly around 80,000. I detected a slight okay. a slight smile when Matthew said eighty thousand. Is that the sort of number you were looking for? No, it's oh. a little bit lower than I thought. Oh, um, because the the insurance um, value this year was one hundred and five, mm. so I was wondering if it was closer to around the hundred mark. What What would you say yeah, was the well, reason for that disparity then, Matthew? So insurance companies, there's, there's always disparity. I mean, that is no way a barometer of a market value of a car. Mm. So many things that don't don't consider. The good news is, yeah. it, it, if if that car uh, met an accident for any reason, which is unlikely considering how safe the roads are right now, but um, <laughs> yeah. that's what the insurance company will need to pay you. But paid, you're actually yeah. paying a higher premium. My advice with insurance uh, valuations is. You have to understand they do that to actually make a bit more money from you as well. So, for example, okay. if you challenge that valuation and you said, no, well, I feel the market value is more like 80 or 85, um, 
then actually your insurance would be less than, than, than you would be currently paying. So, um, but the actual market value of that car for sure is, is no more than 80. And if you put it on okay. for much higher, you'll end up just losing time. Bridget, hope yeah. that helps. Uh, let's try and squeeze in Dominic before we have to go to another break. Dominic. Yeah, hi. How are you doing? You're right. Yeah. Excellent. Why did you call? Uh, I got a Grand Cherokee. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2019 with 80,000 kilometers. Mm-hmm. So I, I do quite a lot of kilometers. You're and, on the road. Uh, the question is, should I keep it or, or get another one? Okay, so there's a 2019 Jeep Grand Cherokee uh, Overland trim, 80K, and I also got a note here, you've got new summer uh, tyres as well from Michelin. Um, yeah, just, just put new tyres on. Okay, okay, excellent. Uh, Matthew, what would you say? Morning. Um, well, for sure, the kilometres are, uh, are very high for a 19, but you said you do a lot of kilometres. It will still be under warranty, of course, and new tyres definitely are attractive to an inward buyer. I think you really need to get out of this car and get into something that's better for putting the kilometres on the car because these are incredibly desirable by families here. Uh, they're very safe, very luxurious, especially being the overland, but you're losing so much value putting the kilometers on while you've got 80 sell it because if it passes a hundred thousand kilometers for such a new car you will lose a lot more money so put it on the market i feel the value is around 130 right now 130,000. but i would sell that car relatively quickly get into a low mileage car a sedan car maybe for for doing those highway miles but it's a definite sell how does that sound to you dominic yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And and happy with the price? Yeah, I'm quite okay with that. Okay, good. Excellent. Uh, glad to help. Uh, give us a call. 04-871-5500 if you would like the benefit of Matthew's advice. Phil did that and he's on the line. Good morning, Phil. Morning, how are you? Hey, very, very well. What would you like to ask Matt? So I have an F-150 uh, 2009. I had it since brand new, 320,000 kilometres. Hmm. Uh, it's got things, it's got dents, it's got scratches, but I use it to hold my sand buggy, my dirt bikes, the desert. I like the car. So I'm having an issue with a cam phaser, which uh, is a common problem for this model. And the mechanic says, look, it's going to cost me around eight grand to get it done, mm -hmm. and it could run me for the next two or three years without problems. Mm -hmm. However, this is the third time I have a cam phaser issue. Mm-hmm. And I really don't want to go and buy another car or buy basically buy a new car because if I need something to haul my toys to the desert, it's going to cost me upwards of 150000 Hauling your toys I to the desert. I love it. Problem. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's see what Matthew says. It's 2009 F-150 Platinum, uh, 320000 on the clock uh, since brand new. And the phaser is going to cost you eight k. Should you fix or flip, Matthew? Yeah. Morning. Well, there's the definition of a first world problem, Toy, uh, <laughs> moving your toys to the, to the desert. Um, yeah, on a serious note, they, they do that, that age of, of car or truck with those kilometers, you're going to have issue with the cam phases. Um, I, I would say the value of it is probably even under 30,000 dirhams, like 28, 30K max. Because somebody will buy it at that pr price to actually do something similar to you, um, haul things around. Um, 
it's not so low a valuation that I would say don't fix it considering what you're doing because you're quite a unique case. I mean, what are you going to buy for 28K that's going to do that job for you? Not a lot. Mm. Um, so I would probably say fix in this, in this case. I disagree with the mechanics uh, that where they say you'll go for another two or three years without any issues. That's not going to be the case, but uh, maybe that specific problem. But um, while you're looking, before you spend the money fixing it, maybe have a quick overall look at the truck and see what else potentially might crop up in the next 6 to 12 months and then make your final decision. Phil, hope that helps. Quick update on our survey. And what's the, what's the latest? 72% of you say, yes, the roads have become safer since the pandemic. Only 28% of you are saying no. This is based on a new bit of data that's been released by one of those insurance aggregation companies. And they're saying that they had less claims last year. A little bit later on, I'll give you the top five nationalities in terms of uh, safety on the roads, according to that survey. Uh, and it, I think it make for interesting listening. That's going to be just after 11am. But right now, we are, of course, in the midst of... Fix it or flip it. Car valuation expert Matthew Davidson is on the line and he's giving us the benefit of his experience. Uh, and he's going to tell you whether you should fix or flip your car. Uh, we're joined now by Fatima. Good morning, Fatima. Good morning, how are you? Yeah, very, very well. What would you like to ask Matthew? Um, my husband and I are looking to buy a Nissan Pass at a second hand. Mm-hmm. With, um, our friend is selling one. Okay. It's a 2018. It's got 53,000 kilometres on the clock. She's a really careful driver. We mm-hmm. know her very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and online, it's being advertised into Bizzle similar models um, for around 97 to 107. And we just want to make sure that that's around right price. Okay, you've got a slightly uh, dodgy line, but what I heard was Sorry. a 2018 Nissan was it Nissan Pathfinder 53,000 yes. kilometers on the clock. Is is that yes. is that what you said? Okay, great. Matthew, what would you say to Fatima? Morning Fatima. Um, first of all, it's a great choice. Um, the SV is the highest spec of the Pathfinder. Um, such a compact uh, car considering it has seven seats. So when you need that extra space, uh, it comes in really handy. I'm a real big fan of this car. In terms of valuation, I would put that car with those kilometers around 94,000, 95,000. So uh, knowing that it's coming from a friend or a car that you trust as well and it's been looked after, that also speaks volumes. But if you're paying mid-90s, you're okay. So uh, okay, super, thank you. Fatima, do you mind um, sort of revealing how much they're thinking of selling it for, your friend? Uh, exactly. It's exactly the amount that Matthew said. That's very, yeah. very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, Fatima, say goodbye just because your line's a little bit dodgy, but hope that really helped. Uh, Suresh is on line number two. Good morning, Suresh. Good morning. Hey, how are you doing? What would you like to ask Matt? Uh, yeah, good morning. Um, I, I have a question uh, regarding my BMW 3 Series. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a BMW 330i, great car. I bought it back in 2010, but I've been using it mostly for office run. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the mileage is approximately 80,000, 82,000. But the maintenance is creeping up now. Uh, but I'm just confused. It's a great car. I like it, uh, but um, I'm just holding on for the last 10 years. I don't know whether I should sell it now 
Uh, or not. Holding on yeah. for 10 years. <laughs> that means yeah. you were thinking about selling it a year after buying it and, and all this time you've been procrastinating. Uh, why now? <laughs> Just because of the cost of, of the maintenance? Right. I mean, um, the maintenance is creeping up. I think mm. I changed my uh, brake discs and all. Uh, but every time I do this maintenance and then I figure out, you know, I should hold on for a few more years and then it's been going on forever. But the car is great. I mean, I, I like it. But it's mm. just that, uh, you know, um, now I don't know whether I should sell it now. Is it worth selling even, to be honest, you know? Mm-hmm. OK, Matthew, what would you say? Morning. Uh, well, there's a lot to dissect in there. Uh, first of all, it is a great car, and I think it served you so well because you have been doing office runs. I mean, 80,000, that's 8,000 a year. I mean, that's incredibly low. I doubt you'll find another car on the market with that, that kind of kilometers. Mm. Uh, it's a difficult one because the value isn't going to be great. Uh, I would say 35, maybe 37,000 maximum if you sold it because it's worth more to you with you knowing its history, et cetera. If you don't specifically need to to sell it because you're using it to go to the office and, and you're quite happy with it, why don't you look at maintaining it in in uh, the more basic way? Um, get it checked over once a year, but stick to the absolute minimum of, of servicing, so oil, filter changes, et cetera. Try and squeeze mm-hmm. a couple more years out of it because it will not depreciate much more in the next two years. And mm. what are you, again, what are you going to swap it out for? You know this car. You've driven it yourself uh, for 10 mm. years. You know the inside and out of it. If you buy something, you're not going to know that. So uh, I would focus on keeping this car, but absolutely keep the servicing cost to a minimum. What do you say, Suresh? Good advice? Yeah, it's a good advice because I think the point about that is not going to depreciate more uh, for a couple more years. Uh, it's a great point because uh, I could, you know, wait for two, three years more. Even if I sell it after two years, it's going to get the same value as today, right? So but, but, not too much. But I feel like you want to get to let it go, Suresh, don't you? I can I can hear that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do. I do. I do want to get let it go, you know. Uh, but just that, you know, um, I mean the. Uh, when we talk about the alternate cars, there's not too much around at the same value, so okay. you have to upgrade it to a higher one. But it's a great point. I think the fact that it doesn't depreciate anymore anyway, you know. Uh, Suresh, uh, how long have you been out here in the UAE? Uh, um, been 15 years now. 15, yeah. okay. And um, what would you say, have, has driving improved during the pandemic? Um, not really, to be honest. Oh. Uh, because I think... Um, I think the traffic has come down, but I think people, uh, given that the traffic has come down, that people have taken it a bit easy, I guess. You know? mm. So I, I, I never got an impression that uh, it has uh, improved uh, since the pandemic. The traffic has helped, definitely. Mm-hmm. But um, sometimes in the evening, the evening rush hours, I mean, some days, especially on, I don't know, people go to office probably on, uh, I, I see that on Mondays and Tuesdays, and mm-hmm. there is a bit of traffic buildup, and then I see all the, old habits coming back. Um, can I ask uh, what your nationality is? Uh, I'm Indian. You're yes. from India. Okay. All right. Well, uh, stay tuned because we'll reveal the top five uh, safest driving nationalities uh, just after 11 o'clock. Uh, Suresh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Matthew, Sandeep uh, gave us a call a little bit earlier on during the break and he left this message because he couldn't stick around to talk in person. Uh, so let's hear what he had to ask you. 
Hello, morning. This is Sandeep here. I've got two cars. The first one is a Audi Q7 2016 white color, about 80,000 kilometers on that. Uh, got a service uh, contract with Audi. So I wanted to know how much would that fetch. The other one is a Volvo XC40 G4, all-wheel drive, uh, 2019 model, gray color. Yeah, just wanted to know. Uh, and it's under warranty and everything with service contract and everything with uh, Volvo. I wanted to know how much that would fetch. Thank you. Uh, let's start with the Volvo, if you don't mind, Matthew. Um, I think you said it was an EX40 G4 2019. Yeah, really, really nice car, but very new. Mm. Um, so you're you're up against people that, that have the money to go then and look at buying a new one. I, I would guess on around 125000 for that car. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's never ideal to sell a car that's... That, relatively new some people have to of course we're not we're not uh, going to dispute that but um i would say yeah unfortunately no more than one two five okay hundred twenty five thousand for the volvo uh let's see if we can get it over 200k with the addition of the audi it's an audi q7 2016 amg 80k on the clock yeah we will we, we, we certainly will get over the 200k that car uh, with those kilometers I would imagine would be around similar type of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe 120, 125 maximum. So if he did sell both of those cars, he's got a, a nice pool of money to uh, either in, in invest into something else or, yep. or go into the car market in a, in a strong position. Quarter of a million dirhams. Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> Not bad way to start your weekend uh, or end your weekend even. Uh, Matthew Davidson is here. He's our car valuation guru and he's taking your calls on 04871 The switchboard has been absolutely jam-packed for the last 45 minutes of this show. But right now, we have got one, two, three, four, five. We've got six slots available. If you call now, you will get through to Matthew and he will be able to give you a live valuation for your car and also, most importantly, that expert advice on whether you should fix or flip. The alternative is to text us 4001, but we do give priority to callers. Uh, I'm going to make an exception for Freddie. Freddie has got a Dodge Charger, Matthew. It's white. Uh, It's a 2019 model, four-door, 18,500 kilometres. He'd like to have a valuation, please. Nice car. Uh, If Freddie's got the V6, which I imagine he has with 18K 2019, again, relatively new car, but that's knocking on the door of 100,000 dirhams, something like 95 to 100. Okay, okay, 95 to 100. Freddie, hope that helps. Jean is on the line, uh, line two. She's just given us a ring. Good morning, Jean. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Ah, very good. Jean, sorry, I should have said, instead of Jean. Uh, how are you? No and, and what would you like to ask Matthew? So I've got a 2016 Ford EcoSport standard mm-hmm. model. Mm-hmm. It's on 95,000 kilometres. Mm-hmm. The warranty ends in April this year, and I'd like to know if I should hold on to it, sell it. And if I hold on, should I extend the warranty with the dealership? Good question. Okay, 2016 Ford EcoSport, 95,000 on the clock. Warranty ends April 2021. Fix or flip, Matt? Yeah, it's it's a good one. Uh, that warranty is probably running to 100K as well, so you're going to run out of time or kilometres with that warranty either way. You can extend it with Ford for a couple more years. You're right. Uh, if the car is serving you quite well and, you, and you're enjoying it, I would consider extending that warranty because that gives you hassle-free motoring for the next couple of years. You know that, that anything that goes wrong with that car 
is going to be taken care of by Ford. In terms of evaluation, there's there's um, quite a few on the market, but I would say that car would be just under thirty thousand, maybe twenty nine thirty thousand. So look, it's, it, it gets repeated so much on this show. Consider what you would actually swap that car out for. Um, I think you've picked the best possible answer yourself, which is look at extending that warranty for a couple more years because the warranty kilometers also goes up when you extend it as well. So, yeah, mm. two more years. Then possibly with three months to go. So when you're at month 21, I would then sell that car. And I think you've done the most efficient thing you can over the years then. Oh, you've got a good, uh, a, good. A, a good, yeah, exactly, a good report card there, uh, Jean. Um, Thank so you. how do you feel about that? Yeah, that's very good. That just uh, kind of uh, makes me my, make, my, make my decision easier now. Mm. Very mm. good. Thank you. Jean, thanks so, so much. Uh, be like uh, Jean. Give us a call, 04871 uh, we got Matt for about 15 more minutes. So if you want to get involved, now is the time and all the lines are open. If you call now, you will get through. Uh, and don't forget, we've got to fix in this uh, or fit in this a speed quote as well. Uh, let's go to Sahel first and see what he would like to find out. On line two, Sahel. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Uh, turn off your uh, radio, please, Sahel. Otherwise, we'll get a little echo. And what would you like to ask Matt? Um, I just wanted to ask him. Uh, so I've got a Miata MX-5 Mazda. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a 2019 model, DCC spec, like straight out the dealership. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to know what it's worth. Okay, and this is, I've got a note here, 35000 on the clock. Yep. Okay, Matthew, what would you say? Morning. Uh, great time of year to have... An MX-5. Um, really, <laughs> really, really love these cars. Um, it's 2019, yeah? That's right. Yeah, this car is probably just over 100K, something like 105, 110. Um, out of interest, why, why are you looking to sell right now? I mean, is this a case of like, because I, I mean, just, just out of curiosity, you know? Because like, I just want to figure it out because... I mean, to be very honest, like the dealership, the, the the kind of prices and the kind of spec they gave me was a bit, uh, let's say, questionable. You know, for, for the lack of a better word. Mm, so, so you I'm, just you just want to you just want a good, honest valuation from an independent party. Okay, so yeah. so so what did you say that was, Matthew? Just over a hundred thousand. Yeah, one hundred and five, one hundred and ten. Uh, I, I'd those cars are pretty desirable right now. I mean, the the newer shape MX fives. I think they're. I think they're beautiful cars, mm. especially if you get some of the colors they've been putting out, like the, the really uh, deep reds, etc. They just look fantastic. Um, something probably worth hanging on to for a couple more years to extract the value, mm. else you'll take that initial hit and that won't be nice. So help, hope that helps. I'm going to be really quick. So, uh, so many people have called in. I want to get through as many as we possibly can, uh, as quickly as we can. Mohammed is on line three. Mohammed. Hello, good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, just quickly, what would you like to ask Matthew? Yeah, I actually I have a Mercedes GLK twenty fifteen, mm-hmm. and um, I drove it for sixty two thousand kilos. Sixty two thousand uh, kilometers, and it's a twenty fifteen. You said it's grey Mercedes GLK. Uh, fix or flip, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, getting to that age now where you can you, you have to consider it's well out of warranty, and they get quite expensive. Uh, look, yeah. in terms of value, that car is probably mid fifties something like 55,000. 
But yeah, I would look at selling that car right now because I think the next couple of years, the servicing bills are going to start to creep up and you only need a, a couple of bigger components to go wrong and it starts to get expensive. Now, it, now is the time to, to sell. Yeah, it's around that six-year mark. Uh, so, Mohammed, how does that sound to you, the valuation? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's helpful, actually, because I, I needed an expert opinion in order to decide how to deal with this issue. Absolutely. Well, this is the show to call for that, the expert opinion. Uh, Matthew, um, gearing up, uh, I'm afraid, for a speed quote, um, still six to beat. How are you feeling? Knowing that six is a mountain to climb if I'm going to beat that. But uh, I'm happy to equal it each week, actually. Well, what we've done here, we've tried to organise it a little bit better um, so that I can say it faster. OK, so we'll see. Okay. We'll see how okay. we go with that. Um, let's get let's do speed quote. And if we have time, we'll take one more call if we have time after this. Um, so are you ready? Let's go. OK. And Pajero, 2014, 116,000 kilometres. 116, getting up there, probably around 32, 33,000. Ford Explorer Limited Edition, 2014, 110K. 45,000. Jaguar E-Pace, 2019, 16,000 kilometres. Oh, they're, they're nice, compact sport SUVs. Uh, they're doing around 135, 140. Infinity QX60, 2017, 71,000. 65,000. Land Rover Modified, 1983, Matte Black, 40,000. Oh, whatever, whatever you want it to be, they're so rare. I would say around 35, 40,000. Jeep Wrangler Sport, two-door, 2018, 37,000. Jeep Wrangler, that's a new shape. That will still be 105, 110K. FJ Cruiser, 2019, V6, 21K. Uh... 110 at least, they, they stopped making them. Oh, yes, we did it! We did it, we got to seven. Oh, that was, that was wild. Uh, the FJ Cruise <laughs> is an interesting one because that must have been sat around somewhere because they stopped making them several years ago. So for it to be registered in 2019 is pretty rare. Okay, that's that's weird. <laughs> maybe we've got a typo on that one, or maybe maybe it's just wrong information. No, it happens. It happens <laughs> uh, sometimes where cars actually are registered up to two years, even after they stop making them. It's possible. Okay. Well, we got we got to seven. We finally did it. That that is uh, pretty impressive. Um, Matthew, thanks as ever for for being with us over the last uh, hour. Um, you know, the lines are always packed when you're on the show. And um, anybody that we didn't get the chance to uh, give you a valuation this week, uh, if you called in or sent us a text, we will add it uh, to the next time that uh, Matt is on air. Obviously, we're on every every two weeks, so I know it's a little bit of time to wait. But we store everybody's uh, queries and we save them for next time um, and you probably find yourself in in next week uh, next editions speed quote uh, matt you're there uh today tomorrow you're chilling out in abu dhabi yeah i'm literally as soon as this show finishes i'm heading straight to the app circuit for the dynamic session that's running from 11 till 4 yeah and then i'm i'm going to take advantage because i had to have a covid uh pcr test to come here so mm. I, i'm actually here for an extra night just to relax and have a staycation back in Dubai for uh, Monday. 
Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, thanks, as always, for joining us on the programme. Really appreciate it. And we'll, we'll chat very, very soon. Uh, he's a busy guy and um, lots to talk to him about uh, every time he comes on the programme. Still to come on today's show, I'll be chatting to Faisal Hussein about his new business venture, turning land cruisers into camper vans. And, of course, we'll continue to take your views on whether driving has improved here in the UAE during the pandemic. Over on our Instagram page at Dubai i 1038 fm we're running a podcast. And so far, the surveys are 68% of you are saying yes, it has improved, and 32% are saying no. Uh, we'll give you an update on that a little bit later on. It'd be interesting to see how that changes uh, during the day. Um, but here to discuss that story and the latest motoring news is Imtasan Guiado, and he's the managing partner of Motoring Middle East. Good morning, Imtasan. Good morning, Ray. How hey, are you? Yeah, very, very good. And it's great to have you uh, on the show with us. Um, let's start with this story then. This is um, information that's come out of a uh, Yellow Compare uh, survey. It's their data uh, basically over the last year of how many claims have been made and by which nationalities. They say claims are down and they've also given us a list of the um, least claiming nationalities and therefore arguably the safest drivers. Tell us about this story. So in this story, basically, they claim straight up that uh, Pakistanis are the best drivers in some ways because they make the fewest number of claims. Yeah. It's an interesting claim, isn't it? It, it, it is very interesting, and, and it's always sort of um, controversial whenever we kind of like throw out, you know, who's the best, na- be- who are the best drivers, who are the worst drivers, and you know, because you and I know the truth is there's there's good drivers and bad drivers from all nationalities all, all over the world, and you just it's, you just can't generalize. Driving doesn't have a nationality, does it? Exactly. I think the only people who actually know for sure, keep in mind, this is uh, independent data from Yalla Compare. Mm. Obviously, RTA has the most accurate and up to date data at all times. Yeah. I think a couple of points from my side um obviously it only records people who've made claims mm-hmm. now last year was an exceptional year as we all know and clearly that many people weren't driving mm-hmm. so it isn't entirely the best representative year in the uae's history that's point number one yeah secondly it doesn't describe the severity of the accident mm-hmm. so fender bender versus complete write-off what are we talking about here yeah so are people some people nationalities more likely to have those kinds of accidents that's not a question I want to ask. That's why I don't like these kind of nationality-based questions in the first place. Yeah, they, they do. Finally, they, create, they create a little bit of division, don't they? And it's and that's and that's definitely not what we need. It gets attention. Yeah, it gets attention to a survey which most people wouldn't really read because it's a safety survey. Mm. Nobody wants to read mm. these things. Mm. But I think it's really important to think more in terms of how well you actually drive, and that's what the survey doesn't tell you. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't tell you how well the people who are actually driving. I mean. Right, let's just press an argument, say Pakistanis have the fewer accidents. Are they the best drivers? Are they using their indicators, not talking on their mobile phones? Mm. I don't think that question should be answered with the nationality, but that's the real question you should be asking is how well are you driving? Well, we, we, I mean, you know, it's worked. We're talking about it. Um, let's just look at the, the rest of the, the top five. So um, just 2.5% of Pakistani drivers made a claim um, in the last 12 months during 2020. Um, the, in at number two, it's Lebanese drivers. Number three, uh, Filipino drivers. Four, Syrians. And number five, Jordanians. Um, and I, I was chatting um, to Matthew a little bit earlier on and I said, oh, you know, who, which nationalities do you think will be in the top five? And he said, oh, may, you know, maybe um, you might see some European nationalities in that top five. Did, did, did any of this surprise you? Not really. I think these numbers in terms of nationality breakdown 
more or less compared to their proportions of those nationalities within the country. Uh, Filipinos are quite a high amount. Pakistanis, not as high as they were back in the day when I was growing up here. Mm. So I think these numbers more or less correlate to the numbers of nationalities. I don't think it really indicates much. It's more useful to, again, to do proper surveys on how well people are driving. But that's much more harder to quantify, isn't it? So let, let's look at the, you know, the survey that we're running as well. Do, do you think that driving improved last year during the pandemic as we all became a bit more conscious and a little bit more careful? Do you think that sort of transferred its way onto the roads? You know, normally I'd be a lot more cynical and say that driving standards haven't really changed much mm. in the last 20, 25 years. But last year, indefinitely, I think everybody's attitude changed, didn't they? And I think on the road... We saw a lot more compassion and safety. I mean, accidents were sadly still as bad as they were. I think mm. when an incident happens, it's still going to be bad. But overall, I saw a little bit more courtesy, respect and care because I think we all realize we're in it together and there's yeah. just no need to be in that crazy rush anymore. Either. I think as well, I mean, it'd be so interesting to see how this all sort of pans out in 10 years and look back at all the data with a little bit of sort of hindsight. But in terms of actual vehicles, you know, we all had to restrict the amount of people who could actually be in a car driving at any one time. And I just wonder, maybe with less people in the car, maybe people to distract us in the back seat weren't there. And therefore, it just increased safety a little bit. You know, we weren't we had less distractions. It was just us and maybe one other person. And, and we were all just being able to focus a bit more. Definitely, definitely mm. a big improvement. But then you got to take the other side of that as well, that people who were in the car by themselves, Sad to say, it were probably on their phone. Mm, they were mm. probably looking at Instagram when they shouldn't then, maybe when they were stopped. But I've seen that sort of behavior. I'd rather have somebody in the car mm. than have a phone for company, which is what a lot of people do. Everybody's done it. I'm not immune, but I certainly don't think it's the right way to drive. No, of course. Keeping your phone, even as a navigation aid, I think it's very, very distracting. Mm. You just shouldn't do it. Well, I mean, obviously, we know that uh, the, the police forces across the UAE do do everything they can to sort of push, put out that message of, of safe driving. Uh, but when it does go wrong, they, they, they crack down and they crack down fast, don't they? But in recently, there was an incident in um, Umal Qaim uh, with a hit and run accident. Can can you, what can you tell us about this? So the hit and run incident was quite interesting. Basically, they found him within three hours, three days. Hold on, let me just... Three hours, yeah. Uh, three hours, they tracked him down. Mm. That's an incredible testament to how well the Umaquan police are able to find people. I mean, it's not a huge evidence, let's be honest, so that does help. But to track him down with the road safety cameras, that's pretty impressive. And you know what? Sort of a personal story here. Back in 86, we had a similar accident. We were hit by a hit-and-run driver, obviously, mm. he, quite badly from behind. Wow. And he took off, and we never found him. He was never found. Wow. All I remember was that it was a black BMW coming, because I happened to turn around and see the last thing I saw. Uh, and, of course, I was unbelted, because I was a child, and that was the 80s. That's what people did. Right. And I always think it would be nice to have found that person. But I obviously learned a very hard lesson then about car safety. Car was right off. Yeah. Course. Yeah, right. well, it's so interesting to hear that. I mean, you know, it, it does happen. I think it happens a lot less. And, of course, nowadays, um, with the you know with, with, with the amount of technology and cameras and things like that, you know, it, it doesn't go unpunished most, you know, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, because this incident happened on Tuesday night, 2nd of March. Um, an Asian man was was hit and the driver was speeding and fled the scene. But he was he was tracked down within within three hours. So um, that just shows you what happens. Failing to stop after causing an accident, uh, a small accident could be penalised with a fine of 500 dirhams for light vehicles, 1,000 for heavy vehicles. Um, and of course, then there's black points. And of course, if there's um, 
serious accidents or injuries, um, the driver can get 23 black points. The vehicle can be taken for 30 days and then a court will decide the the punishment, the fine. Um, So drive very carefully. Um, Let's look at this uh, other story we've got here. Ras Al-Khaimah Transport Authority has been trialling AI in their buses and taxis. So this is quite interesting. They basically got a, a form of facial recognition. Mm. So what they're doing is they're monitoring the taxi and bus drivers' faces for signs of fatigue or tiredness or inattentiveness. Now, this is not new technology. Mm-hmm. Mercedes and BMW have been doing it for about 10 to 15 years publicly. I imagine privately they've had it probably since the late 90s. Uh, when they had sort of slower computers, it just took a while to process the data. Now with modern computers, you can more or less figure out, based on a map of somebody's face, how they're reacting over time. You also take into account lots of other variables. For example, what sort of steering movements they're making, what sort of throttle inputs they're doing. Mm. So effectively, you can build up a complete map or picture of how the driver is responding to driving over time. Mm. So basically, what the system is simply saying to the driver is, you're tired, take a break. And it's not depending on time. Like you had this in the 80s. You had a system that say, if you drive for 20 minutes, take a break. Yes. Now these systems are actively looking at the person and trying to make an AI-based judgment. Now, mm. is this something that actually works? Well, yes, if the driver listens to it. I know that I've seen coffee cups and cars and I've just ignored it and driven straight through because I'm the best driver in the world. That's obviously not what you should do. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm just I'm just thinking about the the possibilities of this, you know, because we've it's all a great we, system, we, we've all kind of um, been aware of for many many years that sticker on the back of of the commercial vehicles which says, you know, how am I driving? Am I driving safely? And then you sort of there's a number to call if you if you're angry. I've done that. I've called the number and the guy didn't know what I was talking about. I don't think I was any, say, those numbers are not always real. They don't. I don't. Maybe not. Maybe not. They don't always it work. Just comes maybe. on the sticker. But I, I, yeah. I wonder. You know, this is this is obviously you know such a an advancement for that. It allows employers to get real time data in many cases. Cases, uh, certainly the RTA uh, in Rasokema, and I think they've got this in other Emirates as well, maybe here in Dubai. It allows them to see in real time how that person is driving and if they're being safe, unsafe, and obviously then they can they can take action accordingly. And knowing that you're being monitored will um, undoubtedly improve um, a person's driving, especially if that is what you you do for a living. Here's a thought for you, and you can tell me what you think of this. Instead of there being a sticker on the back of a, a commercial vehicle, what if there was some kind of monitor that other drivers could see, some kind of display, which actually showed us how that person had been driving over the last sort of half an hour, hour. And, you know, if it was, it could be a, a traffic light system, like a, a green, a yellow, and a red. If it's a red, it's it's avoid at all costs. And if it's green, it's, hey, you, can, you know, dr- dr- drive, you can drive close to. What do you think of that? I think it's a very PlayStation idea. Because obviously, you, I think we should divide, I'll take you one further, we should yeah. divide everything to lanes. So people who drive in the red zone, and mm. it's badly, mm. should be in the slow lane at all times. And only if you're in the green lane can you get close to the passing lane and passing mm. on the driving. That should be the way you do it. And then the traffic can obviously segregate itself. The trouble is, much like this system, nobody listens. I think you're spot on. The way that uh, they've done this in Asukaima is obviously to monitor people, not necessarily change behavior, mm. because then they can build up a picture of how their drivers are driving. Uh, Personally, Steve, I think it's 
Sorry, Imtasan. Uh, Going to have to go for a quick break. Just a uh, Steve message in on four zero zero one. He says road safety, scooters on roads, and then quite a lot of unhappy uh, faces. And he says that you know it's important that we need a bit of regulation uh, on this. Uh, let us know your thoughts on road safety in the UAE. Four zero zero one. You know, are the roads getting safer? Have they got safer during the pandemic? Join us and uh, vote on that survey. It's at Dubai I one zero three eight FM. At the moment, sixty three percent yes, it is safer. Thirty. say not really. Now, uh, our next story that we're going to be looking at is um, Volvo have announced that they're going to go fully electric by 2030. What can you tell us about this? So Volvo basically said we're ditching all internal combustion engines Mm -hmm. by 2030. Mm. Um, It's quite a brave move. Uh, Basically, they're going fully electric, only electric cars on sale. This makes sense because, I mean, they have obviously, they're owned by Geely Motors in China. And China, as we all know, is massively massing electric cars and reducing their CO2 output and, of course, their pollution levels, which are very, very high. Mm. So for them, it makes total sense. Plus, China is also where Volvo sells the majority of its cars. So, again, total sense. And on top of all that, Volvo really only has one engine anyway. <laughs> they basically have a two-liter turbo engine, which they crank the output up and down, depending on how much you're paying for it, mm. add a hybrid motor if you're paying a lot for it, and then that's the hybrid flagship car. So they've been simplifying their sort of production economies of scale for quite some time in readiness for this. Yeah. So I think it's a very, very good idea on paper. I just don't think it's very realistic in terms of what we're actually doing and buying. It's mm. very easy to come and salt and say, you know, 10 years from now, we won't be driving any petrol car or be able to buy any. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that I think there'll be internal combustion engines on the road for a very, very long time. No, I, I agree. And I think, you know, we, we get a lot of people contacting this show saying they're going to, you know, they want to resist it. You know, they, they're not that keen to sort of um, uh, go electric and, and there'll always be a, a place for obviously combustion engine. In terms of um, Volvo's announcement, it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit different. And they've kind of also said that they are going to be ditching leather seats as well so it's, it's bye-bye to to leather which to my mind doesn't bother me so much because <laughs> in the middle east I, I try to avoid cars with leather seats it's a bit yeah. warm in case anybody noticed um <laughs> i think it's a very good idea i mean you see some manufacturers on manufacturers as well mm-hmm. they're going basically vegan they're all ditching leather they're all going to synthetic and you know how synthetic used to be kind of a dirty word in the old days but now actually it's kind of cool because people they don't want leather they don't want stuff with cow byproducts yeah sure. i should also point out that um volvo is not the only manufacturer saying this mm-hmm. ford general motors have all said they'll stop selling cars that doesn't mean you can't own cars just to be very clear mm-hmm. it just means you can't buy a brand new one mm-hmm. now in the case of volvo i think it's very possible in the case of General Motors and Ford, who have these massive globe-spanning portfolios, I am a little more skeptical. It's very easy to make an announcement like this yeah. and then walk it back five years later. What <laughs> um, one part of the announcement? Um, they again are following suit with uh, other car manufacturers. They're switching their sales business online. Uh, the chief executive, Hukan uh, Samuelson, said that this won't be the end of car showrooms. Let's have a quick listen to what he said. You will put in the order online. But of course, many people would, uh, before they do that, look at the car and then they will, of course, visit our retailers, have a look in the showroom, have it explained by a sales personnel. Okay, so the process, I mean, I find this a a little bit confusing. So the entire sales business will be online, but you will still have showrooms that you can go to to actually sort of test the car and, and, and sit in the car. But you won't be able to buy the car right there and then in the showroom? 
So it's kind of similar, if not an exact copy of how Tesla operates, mm-hmm. particularly in the UAE as well. You can do the entire process online, the booking process, the actual payment, etc. you do in-store in the showroom. Right. Obviously, if you're going to finance, you have to do that. And the showroom exists more as a kind of gallery. So you go there and check out various options. Salespeople can walk you through things, but they're not there to actually sell you a car. It's like being in a mall and you see one of those displays in the middle, you know, mm. where people can show you stuff and demo stuff, but they're not actually there to sell you the item. It's a perfume or Mitsubishi. Well, it's a trend that um, is going all across Europe and, uh, and and North America as well. I mean, do, do you think that we're going to end up with EVs dominating the UAE's roads? That's a question that I get asked a lot on motoring Middle East. And I think the answer is a little bit further off than people uh, should be. They shouldn't be scared, let's put it that mm-hmm. way. In Europe, definitely places like Norway and so on, it's already the case. EVs are dominating the roads. But they have a unique infrastructure and weather conditions. Now, a lot of manufacturers have launching or have launched electric cars out here. But the issue is of longevity. The conditions are extremely hard on the vehicles. Infrastructure is a problem. If you're buying an electric car in the UAE, I would highly recommend that you buy a Tesla. That's my honest sort of uh, appraisal because they're the ones with the best infrastructure. Mm. The vehicles themselves, obviously, whether you like them or not, is a different story. But in terms of being able to actually practically run one, a Tesla makes the most sense. Everything else, the charging network, well, Deva has a pretty good series of chargers all over the country. So that is an option. They aren't always the most convenient because they're in petrol stations. So you can leave your car for the petrol station for about three hours. But at the moment, Tesla is the best option you've got. And definitely the one that people have the best name recognition of mm. at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're running out of time. Just time for one more story with you, Infasan. And uh, that's Aston Martin. And it's returning to Formula One. And this is for the first time in 60 years it's been. It has been a very long time. So they're taking over the team that used to be Racing Point, that used to be Force India, that used to be Spiker, that used to be Jordan. <laughs> Basically, it's been around the block, this team. Mm. And I actually interviewed Eddie Jordan many years ago, and he described the process of running a, a racing team as basically the only thing that kept him up at night. Now, Eddie is <laughs> not a poor man, but that was a very quick way, he said, to go very, very broke. Yeah. And Lance Stroll, uh, his dad's a billionaire, obviously. Yeah, I think this comes... I refer to this team as Stroll and Sons now for all intents and purposes, mm. because it is Lance's uh, uh, racing team, which happens to feature Sebastian Vettel. I'm mm. really not sure what to make of it. Uh, either Vettel's going to basically come out of his career downturn, or Stroll's going to show him up one minute. And neither is really a great thing for either of those two drivers. And they're kind of backmarkers. The drivers, the team themselves, hasn't seen a huge amount of success. It's nice to see Aston Martin back on the grid. Will it actually filter down to the road cars? I'm not entirely sure. Aston's never been in the cutting of the technology, and besides, all the engines come from Mercedes anyway. Mm. So it's better to ask Mercedes what they're doing for their road cars than Aston Martin. But I think for a lot of nostalgic people, it's a good thing to see Aston on a car. Yeah, a lot of people will will be delighted with that. And it'll be be exciting when, obviously, it hits the grid later on this year. Um, And, of course, four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel behind the wheel. Um, That's that's a big name. That's a big name uh, signing, isn't it? It has been a big name signing, but the fact that he landed Aston Martin, no reflection on the team, but more reflection on Sebastian, that nobody seems to want to touch uh, poor Sebastian. And I think he's had a bit of bad luck in the last few years. Mm. And for somebody who has a four-time world champion, it's quite surprising that people aren't racing to lap him up. But he's been very inconsistent. He's made a lot of mistakes. He's been a little erratic and also a little mercurial. Mm-hmm. So with that kind of temperament, I think teams are waiting to see if he can recapture his form, which is all the more difficult when you're in a team that's... Uh, 
as challenged as this new Aston Martin racing team. It's going to be hard for him to make an impact, I suspect. Just uh, going back to the Volvo story, Imtasan, uh, we had a message in from Adnan. He says, personally, an announcement like this is more of a media gem. I remember Audi mentioned in tw- that by 2020, the showroom would only have electrical vehicles. Almost all are still fuels. Do you think it's, it's more, he, Adnan here is saying it's more of a publicity thing. Do you think there's much truth to that? Well, to be honest, Adnan, the Audi reference is actually a good one. I remember when the e-tron was launched a few years ago, and I remember being at the launch and asking the dealer how many ways they had. And they said, well, we've got two. We hope we'll sell a few. Mm. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we're not entirely sure if we'll be needing that many servicing bays. I hope, obviously, since I'm sure infrastructure improvements have come along. But it gives an idea that everybody's hedging their bets. I think it is a bit of, it gets a lot of media coverage. When it actually starts changing lives is when, it'll become more difficult and expensive to buy petrol cars and you have to buy EV cars, obviously from a CO2 and tax perspective. Mm. And just general, they're cheaper and as easy to run as a petrol car. Until then, it is 100% a lot of media noise. Imtasan uh, Giyari, thank you so much. You're the managing partner of Motoring Middle East and uh, you stepped in for Damien Reed today. We really appreciate uh, your expertise. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, thanks to everyone who's been messaging us as well. Um, Christian, uh, thanks to your text. Uh, we're going to chat about the issue of non-agency body repairs um, in the next uh, episode of this show, which is in two weeks. Uh, it's a fantastic suggestion. Thank you so much. A lot of people bring this up, so we'll make sure that we focus focus on that. This is Motormania, your car talk show. And we love talking to anybody who gets excited about the business of motoring. And uh, recently I was speaking to a man who's got a very young business and it's attracting a lot of interest, not just across the UAE, but also further afield North America as well. Faisal Hussein launched Freedom Overland just a a couple of weeks ago. And it's a company that designs and makes customised 4x4 expedition vehicles, camper vans, and more. And he was telling me how he got the idea to build these adventure vehicles. It came out of uh, my passion and interest in overlanding, uh, which I've had now for more than five years. And um, the type of vehicles that I uh, needed for myself were really not available in Dubai or in the GCC. Uh, And this is just for my personal use. Uh, These vehicles were available in the U.S. and Europe, and obviously that's uh, difficult to get them over here. So I decided to to build a custom vehicle with uh, some local workshops, and uh, I went through the the experience of doing that, learned a lot, figured I could do it uh, better, and that perhaps there would be a market in Dubai, UAE, or the GCC for those type of vehicles which are not available today. That's interesting. So it came out of a, a need that you had yourself because of a, a passion that you had for, for, for overlanding. Did you kind of do any research and sort of figure out, well, how many of these do I think I might sell in a year? Or, or were you just driven because you were so passionate about it yourself? I'm a person of passion, so I just uh, jumped in. and uh, uh, no, So no formal market research or study. Uh, it is a very, you know, it's, it is a, a growing trend. Um, so if, if you follow the, uh, you know, the articles on overlanding and how that is taking off, especially in places like, uh, North America, Europe, Australia, uh, it's really something that has grown very rapidly. And I think it is very well suited for the, um, the GCC culture because here, you know, it's, uh, there's a big culture of, of spending time outdoors 
and, and traveling as well. So I think it is suited. But uh, this level of product is not currently available mm. here. You, know, you have your traditional you know, old school RVs, which are these mansion on wheels. They really can't go into a remote area. They're only good for highway driving. Or you have these trailers that you pull, which also limit where you can go. So our vehicles are really meant to go in the wild, in the uh, deep in the interiors, away from civilization, uh, allowing you to explore remote areas and being a, in a certain uh, level of comfort and sustainability. So they're all solar powered, lithium ion batteries, toilet, showers, sleeping. So all, all the basic comforts are taken care of. So you had to start somewhere. You decided to start with the cruiser, and, and that's the, the model, the, the vehicle that you're using for the Freedom Cruiser, which is a Correct. 4x4 camper van um, built on the, the chassis of a, of a land cruiser. Why did you choose a land cruiser? Absolutely. So that is our first vehicle, which we call the Freedom Cruiser, and that is built on a land cruiser 79 platform. Uh, we chose the Land Cruiser primarily because of the fact that Toyota is, is everywhere in the world. We expect people who get our products to travel to Africa, to travel across uh, Central Asia, to travel Far East. And Toyota, and especially the Land Cruiser 70 series, is one of not only the, the, one of the most robust 4x4s, but it's also a Toyota, which means you can get service and parts anywhere. And it's a simple vehicle. So whenever, you know, in, in our design and our manufacturing philosophy, we like to keep things simple. The simpler, the better, the simpler, the less things that can break. It's a tried and tested platform. It's been in production for God knows more than two decades. It can run on bad fuel. That's the reason we stuck with a, with a Toyota. The one thing we, we, do, we are aware, and this is uh, feedback that um, we did expect, is that it is a manual transmission and certain people cannot drive or they prefer an automatic transmission. So mm -hmm. down the road, we will pick us a second platform that can uh, provide uh, an automatic transmission. So obviously, when you were starting out with the passion project just for yourself, you, you went to other garages. Now you're, you're handling the entire process yourself. What is that process of turning a land cruiser into a, into a camper van? So you have to start with uh, design. You, know, you have to be very careful of the shape. You have to be very careful of where you put the weight. Uh, so there's a lot of design on paper and on computer that is, that is required. Then you go into the materials, you know, what materials you will use to build. And here, again, weight is, is very, very important. It has to be lightweight. It has to fit within the vehicle's limits. We do not change the structural design of the vehicle. It's the same chassis, the same engine, the same suspension, and we don't touch that. And, and that is very important for getting it passed by RTA, because the moment we change one of those things, we cannot get it approved. So the vehicle, as much as possible, remains stock. It is the camper, the camper unit uh, that we build on the rear that we really manufacture and build on our own. It's 100% aluminium, lightweight, strong, tried and tested, very traditional way of, of building. We, use, uh, we do not use steel because it's heavy. And then we, you know, after we build the exterior, we also have to design the water system. Water tanks would be, we place those as low on the vehicle as possible. 
between the two axles so that we maintain stability. There's a whole electrical system that is, that is designed. Uh, we use very advanced electrical system. In fact, we outsource that to a specialist company. Uh, we use lithium ion batteries, uh, 400 amp hours, solar panels, our air conditioner for the camper, which is located under the, uh, the sofa bench, can run for five or six hours on our batteries. We do not require it, you to carry a generator. Some people may choose to do that, and that's fine, but our vehicles are, are designed to, to be used without, without a generator. So there's the design part, there's the structural, there's the materials, and then we come to the finishing. And we like to use uh, natural finishes. We, lo- we love to use wood, sustainable wood. Uh, we, lo- we love to use wood that is lightweight, and that really brings the, 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 the warmth and the, and the earthy feeling that we love so much inside the vehicles. Uh, we use mother of pearls in the, in the shower to give more like a spa type of effect. We have a wide uh, kitchen counter that, that is full service. We have a refrigerator, yeah, sofa bench that converts into a bed in less than a minute. So these are also very important. How long does it take for you to set up the bed? That's very important. How many yeah. steps do you have to go through? How do you open up the rear uh, which is a very unique feature for us. The rear of the vehicle, if you have seen, opens up completely and blends the outside to the inside. So mm-hmm. these are all the things that we go through in the design process. What kind of length of, of comfortable stay is the vehicle designed for? Is it, is it sort of a, a, an overnight kind of thing, or do you think you could go away for a, for a, for a week? You could go away from a, for a week. The only limitation you have, one, how much food you're carrying, obviously, mm-hmm. but that's up to you. And the second is how judicious you are with the water. The water is the only thing that runs out. Freedom Cruiser has 150 liters of water. 150 liters is about seven to eight jerry cans. You know, the traditional jerry cans? Yeah. Uh, each one of those is about 20 liters. Now, it depends. If, you, uh, if two people are showering and taking lengthy showers every day, yeah, you will run out in two or three days, probably. Mm. If you're judicious and taking quick showers, two, three-minute showers, and you're turning off the tap and turning it on only when you need it, you can stretch for four to five days. There is new technology. We have not installed it yet. We have to, we have to try it ourselves. There's new technology that will allow you to recycle the water. So it will go through another filtration and it will go through UV and carbon filters and everything. And all the, all the shower, uh, all the water that comes from your shower and your sink, you can recycle that and you can drink off of it. Then you could be, you could be out for two weeks. You're close to being apocalypse ready. You know, you could head out into the, into the desert and just keep going, couldn't you? What sort of reaction have you had? Is it, 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 it sounds very comfortable. It's, you know, it's well designed. Have you sold many units? Are you doing well? We're doing well. We just, you know, we're, we're probably less than 10 days out of the gate, even though the work has been going on for six months. The response has been off the charts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many, many inquiries. Uh, lots of people are interested. We surprisingly are getting a lot of interest from equally from the UAE, but perhaps more so from outside. A lot of inquiries from uh, Saudi. Many people in, in the US are interested in this, uh, in this vehicle just because of the design elements, the interiors, the use of wood and organic. You know, it's, it's a really a chic or bohemian type of interiors that, that is uncommon. I mean, what about, um, let's say I was thinking of buying one of your uh, 
overlands one of your one of your vehicles what what would i need to do in terms of regulations do i need a special license when i'm driving them around or can i operate a normal uh driving license we take care a lot of a lot of that process for you uh, and that's part of the the value and the service that we provide right it's not just the vehicle so the vehicle goes for rta inspection um we get it reclassified as a caravan except one vehicle uh, which is our freedom truck and that's sort of the the biggest baddest vehicle that we will have all the other ones do not require a special license uh they, your your normal light vehicle license is good enough to drive these that's uh, Faisal Hussein. He's the founder of Freedom Overland. I was chatting to him a little bit earlier uh, this week, and he, he's kind of tapping in to this. You may have seen it, this sort of hashtag van life craze, which is going on at the moment. And he mentioned Bohemian there. And, and you know, obviously the, the product that he's producing, it, it looks beautiful. Um, and yet um, it, it does tap into sort of a, maybe a, a slightly younger market, I would say. Um, around the world, a lot of people have kind of rejected the idea of mortgages. Um, and they're saying, look, you know, if I can get a van or a boat and, you know, tur- you know something I can actually afford with one payment and turn it into my my home, then that becomes their kind of hashtag uh, van life. Faisal told me about each of his products. Our product strategy is... Um is designed for different type of people. The Freedom Cruiser is a rugged off-roader built on a land cruiser. It's ideal for two people, a couple, a couple and the dog, maybe maybe a couple and a, and a baby. The Freedom Van is designed for a young family, a couple and two young kids, right? So it can sleep four people. Uh, it is not a four by four system because we do not get four by four vans in, uh, in the UAE, but you can take it to the beach. You can take it to the wadis, you can take it to the mountains, but you cannot cross deserts and mm. you cannot cross mud, right? Those are the two limits, but it has more interior space. Now, the Freedom Rover is for your, for your single individual. It's very lightweight. Uh, it is a half height system, so you cannot stand up inside. You can sit. There's a sleeping inside, but the cooking and the showering is done outside. It does not have an indoor toilet or shower. So that is our entry. The Freedom Rover is... Or the individual who wants to do dune bashing and and do mountain uh, tracks, all of those things, but doesn't mind cooking outside or showering outside. And then the Freedom Truck, which is you know the biggest of them, is built on a Unimog Mercedes vintage Unimog platform, which is you know the most accomplished four x four vehicle uh, at least that I consider. And that's for four adults, full grown adults, mm. uh, sleeping for four, and that can go anywhere. It's, you know, it's really a military chassis type of a system. And for that, we may need a heavy vehicle license. Okay. So let's say I wanted to buy the Rover. What sort of, yes. have, you, have you released your prices or is it all based on customizations for the, for the client? What, what sort of price range are we talking about? Ray, we, we haven't finished the, pr- the pricing yet. Frankly, we, we just so busy building these that uh, we haven't you know, added up all the costs. But yeah. the Freedom Rover, which is, you can say, the entry-level vehicle, will be plus or minus 200,000, 175 to 200,000. That is our guess. And, and please, again, things are yet to be finalized. So just uh, that caution on the, on the numbers. The Freedom Van will be probably in the 300s. Uh, the Freedom Cruiser is, uh, starts at 450. And then the Freedom... Uh, truck will be probably 600 uh, and above. So we have different products for different price points, different use cases, 
uh, different budgets. Our options are limited. We, we believe in keeping it simple. So for example, in the Freedom Cruiser, we have just two options. And one is sort of a body kit and a suspension upgrade. If you require, it doesn't need it, but it's available. So front bumpers, side steps, uh, more comfortable suspension, that's one. And the other is an electrical uh, upgrade from a simple setup to a much more advanced, robust setup. So those are the only two things you have to decide whether you need or not. So you could buy the whole kit, the, the, the Rover, the van, the, the cruiser and the truck for around 1.75 to 2 million. Uh, and we're talking dirhams yeah. here, right? <laughs> yes, dirhams. Yeah, you can have the full collection. <laughs> and it'd be a good day when um, that entire order comes in for you, I'm sure. Tell us about how the uh, camper van or the, the sort of the cruising van scene is, is kind of increasing in the UAE. Is it, is it something that's a bit of a trend here now and is, is going to continue to increase and improve? There is tremendous interest. Uh, you know, th- there are two terms that are used for this. There is, there is a term called van life, right? And then yeah, there's a term called overland. Both are similar, but they're distinct also. Van life means you're living, living out of a van. Overlanding means you're living out of a vehicle, but you're doing cross-continent travel. So you may be traveling from London to Dubai or London to Singapore or whatever, pick your destination, right? So they're mixed, but they're different. There is a lot of interest, but people don't have that product available for them. The only vehicles that you can live inside that are available today in the UAE, to my knowledge, are RVs, big, big, giant RVs. You know, today you need something that is minimalistic, agile, small footprint, easy to drive, easy to maneuver. And those vehicles are not available in the UAE or the GCC. We are trying to bring that here. Uh, Faisal Hussein, founder of Freedom Overland. Thank you so much for chatting to me today. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, such an exciting um, thing. I mean, not just in terms of you know the possibilities of the vehicles but obviously for uh, Faisal as well he's kind of taken his own passion he's turned it into a business and if you can do that it's a pretty amazing thing um and it's a definitely a first in this part of the world as well how do you feel now that you've listened to that interview would you be inclined to get yourself a freedom rover or a freedom van for your family finn messaged in and she says she loves the show um and she's saying you can actually tow a trailer uh, one of those type trailer tents uh, containing extra water and beds behind the vehicle and that is a that's actually a possibility and um, i'm sure it's something that uh, Faisal thought about perhaps i should have asked him is there a tow bar um on the back of uh, the rover or the uh, of the van which would enable you to kind of like extend your stay and have more people with you as well um it's such an exciting concept it's happening right here in the uae as well we're going to catch up with uh, faisal in a few months and see how they're doing as well um before we wrap up, let's see uh, what you guys think about the UAE's roads. Are they safer during the pandemic uh, or not? Uh, well, the survey results are in, and I can tell you that currently 65% of you say, yes, our roads here in the UAE have been safer during the pandemic, and 35% um, are saying no. But you can keep that conversation going online at Dubai i 1038 FM. Uh, you can leave your comments on our social media platforms and join us on Twitter as well uh, or message us on 4001. Thanks to everybody who joined in the programme over the last couple of hours. It's always a, a real pleasure to do this show and to have your company um, 
and talk to people who are really passionate about cars as well. Um, we're back on Saturday, the 20th of March at 10am. So up bright and early, get your coffee, uh, get your, your breakfast on the go and then uh, listen to this show.